0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Asher Agency, a full-service partner to clients nationwide. Asher's services include media planning, creative, digital and social, website development, public relations, printing and fulfillment, and more. Anything you need to connect with your prospects and tell your story. To learn more, visit asheragency.com or contact us at hello at my guest is Jason Penrod. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for making the trip to see us and to do this live and in person. That is especially challenging for you right now because you have a new variable in your life, and that variable is a six-month-old child.
1: Yes. Uh, How's that going? Uh, it's going well. It's, I think, for anyone that is in that situation, it's you know a bit of a roller coaster on about the, the the sleep deprivation situation. Yeah. Um, certainly the first three months were rough, and then we hit like a, all right, we're, we're kind of like professional parents now, and like she's actually sleeping at least six or seven hours of, of the night, and now she's kind of like picked up this tendency of, crawling in the middle of her sleep and hitting her head on okay. the crib and okay. then waking up and choosing violence so <laughs> <All> <laughs> that's right. that's usually halfway through the night four or five in the morning she'll end up like <laughs> having kind of a, a tiff about that so. yeah
0: well my son who is now 23 the mm-hmm. first year of his life he didn't sleep for more than three hours at any stretch mm-hmm. so that was i i I feel your pain and I'm glad I'm no longer in the middle of that <laughs>
1: Yeah. I we've we've joked a couple of times um both my wife and I are uh late 30s. I'm I'm 38, she's 39. Um we we had a child later in life. We absolutely agree that like that's when we would have wanted to yeah, do it in sure. terms of like we're in a position in our career, that sort of thing, but we're also like, man, we probably would have been more <laughs> equipped to like deal with only an hour or two of sleep. Yeah. A night, <laughs> yeah, in our early twenties. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: it seems like you're holding up well, regardless.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, caffeine <laughs> that always helps. Yeah. So, Jason, as you know, one of the things we talk about on this podcast is career path mm-hmm. and how marketers get into the positions they're in. So, I'd like to hear a little because you have an interesting path. Yeah. How did you get from what you studied at DePauw as a college student to where you are today? And I know that's going to take some turns, right. so start wherever you want.
1: Um, so, I, I came to DePauw, um, which is in Greencastle, Indiana. Um, I'm originally from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went into DePauw, I was laser-focused on this idea that I was going to study poli-sci and I was going to graduate and become a lawyer. Okay, Like that's – those were the things that I was going to do. Uh,
0: was that like your – had your family been – had people in your family been lawyers or was this just your own unique idea?
1: It was kind of my own unique idea. Yeah. I – unlike like a lot of Midwestern kids that like just like sports, 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 yeah. like I just seem to collect all the nerdy uh, <laughs> extracurriculars. Yeah. Um, was in mock trials, student government, speech and acting, theater, like all of these boxes. And I thought, you know, I I think that I could I could do this professionally because yeah. of course doing it in high school with it, all your friends. With all your friends <laughs> is exactly
0: it's, like what the career will be like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um so I just <laughs> had this expectation uh that that's what I wanted to do. But at the end of the day, part of it was motivated by like this will afford me, like, a a decent or comfortable lifestyle that will allow me to have a place for creative hobbies or things yeah. like that. That was kind of the drumbeat in my mind of, mm-hmm. like, what – how can I be successful to facilitate, like, all of my creative interests that yep. I, for whatever reason, have discounted as a professional career? Yeah. That will come back later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I went to DePauw, and then I think about – and I was very fortunate because – I've heard you talk to different lawyers that have, like, once they actually got to the law firm, realized, like, this is not for me. Yeah. I met an attorney, um, kind of job shadowed one that was in corporate law, uh, I think about my freshman year, sophomore year. And it was easily the most depressing conversation that I've had. Mm-hmm. Like, just mm-hmm. he clearly was on the verge of burnout. Yeah. I don't really know why he entertained the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um it he talked about 60 70 hour work weeks and like not really seeing his family and like it doesn't matter where you go to school just do the yep. work like it just was such a pessimistic like I have no joy in life <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. and I I think from what I understand he later on actually quit his job because yeah. he just had enough of it um and just went Outside of law altogether. Yeah. And like, okay, this maybe not the path for yeah. me.
0: Well, and, and there's a reason, you know, a lot of times when someone's in high school or early college and they're looking at a career path, they, they see these salaries and they're like, right. that's what I want. And you sometimes forget that that comes at a cost. Yeah. You're going to have to work a lot more and a lot harder and a lot more stressful situation to earn that money. That is for some people. Some people work in that environment and thrive and Others say maybe something else.
1: Well, and I think that there's also like particularly in the 90s, there was such a focus on like legal dramas on TV and movies and, uh, you know, even going farther back, like, you know, Frank Capra films Mm -hmm. that just like romanticize this idea of a lawyer and like defending people's rights or like you have like the William Kunstlers that – Defended the Chicago 7 and started yeah. the ACLU. The first celebrity
0: lawyers, right. if you will. Yeah.
1: Um, and you're like, well, I would love to do that, yeah. but defend people that need the help. And you like, at the end of the day, most of what law is is just like pushing paper. Yeah, and you like, correct. is that something that you want to do? The part or, they don't show in the movies. <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make for an interesting 120-minute <laughs> runtime. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think that I was fortunate enough to come to that epiphany within my freshman year of college. yeah, The problem is, like, I might not have made the best transition as far as, like, come my sophomore year, like, what is the next step? Mm-hmm. Like, what do I actually want to do? And I think for people in that position, I made the decision that a lot of people do. I kind of fell in love with a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Bernie Botto. Uh, he was the head of the religious yep. studies department. This is a guy who published several books, uh, had done archaeological digs mm-hmm. in Egypt, in Israel. He had survived a suicide bombing wow. in the Gaza wow. Strip um, in the ni- early 90s. And just kind of like this huge, rich life that you're just kind of like, hey, this is like... In another this case is,
0: where you're like, this is what it's going to be like if this, I follow this path. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I would love to do this. This is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a certain amount of... Uh, I I went into college 2003, 2004. This is only a few years removed from uh, 9-11. Mm-hmm. And there were so many misconceptions about religion, particularly in the terms of Islamist, yeah. Islamophobia, where I was like, I I just feel like I want to know more. Mm-hmm. And – I I started down that path, not necessarily thinking like I'm going to graduate with a four year degree in religious studies. It was just like I'm going to start taking these classes mm-hmm. and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, This is where I think that I might become a professor. Yeah. Though that's obviously not happened. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so you finish with a degree in religious right. studies.
1: Yeah. Then what happens next? Uh, the economy uh, <laughs> happened. Yeah, um, I <laughs> as it inevitably will. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> no one expects uh, subprime mortgages. Um, 2007 hits. I graduate. Yeah. It's already kind of a rocky job market, mm. but it was really 2008 that like options were really limited. Yeah. Uh, I. Came to Indianapolis, and this is also, like, a really weird time in terms of the job market. Like, you can apply online, but it's, like, career builder and really crunchy websites. Mm -hmm. Most are still publishing job ads and like, newspapers, things like that. And you probably have uh, a parent that is telling you, well, you need to go knock on doors because that's the effective way that's not going to irritate people to get you a job. And I was just applying to anything within any metro area close to hometown, and that was Indy Mm -hmm. primarily. And the people that gave me a job happened to be Crown Hill Cemetery. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, So I I had kind of – Talked myself up into a sales job there, uh, and it was easy for them to give me because it was a commission-only job. Uh-huh. So it's like there's no loss if he yep. stinks. Yep. Um, so I was, for the first year of my <laughs> adult career, selling uh, funeral insurance policies primarily in grave sites, um, primarily to people before the time of death yeah. uh, to try to, like, help them make those plans in advance. So what was that like? <laughs> awful. Uh, it was awful. Um, okay. <laughs> I, you know, the it is it was a masterclass and learning that you really need to believe in the product that yeah, you sell. Yeah, for sure. And I, I thought that it would be something helpful for me to navigate because I had a lot of experience with a lot of different mm-hmm. uh, religious affiliations. Yeah. So I thought I could yeah, have those sure. types of conversations. Uh, I thought I could be more helpful at the time of death because we were on call from time mm-hmm. to time to, mm-hmm. to to help those people. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're having conversations with people that are making guilt spins mm-hmm. that fundamentally, I'm just like, yeah. you have other things, like, they're gone. Yeah. Don't buy the mahogany casket. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And you really... I, that made me a terrible salesperson because it's just like do you really need this or do you think that this is this matters yeah. um so I was actively talking myself out of sales yeah. yeah um I do think that there was a great education in seeing a lot of different uh, really consultative sales styles that I yep. think made me appreciate The types of people that come with, I'm just, I'm here to solve a problem for you. I'm not trying to sell you something. Mm -hmm. If you buy something by solving this problem, great. If you don't, there are other people that you could work with. Uh, but at, for me, that was like a fight of most of what I wanted people to do is like, have you considered just cremation? Have you like, considered
0: spending less on the product I sell? Have you considered yeah. just spending the product I sell on commission? Have you yeah. considered not buying it?
1: I know that we sell monuments, <laughs> yeah. but like, don't you think that's silly? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're working on skills that will serve you well later, but they serve you terribly in the position you're right. in at the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so how I, do you? move past that? What's the next step, and where does that lead you to?
1: Um, so, indirectly, because that wasn't going anywhere, and I just needed something that had kind of a consistent paycheck. I actually, I worked at a, as a waiter for mm-hmm. a while. That's not a significant enough story. But I ended up uh, at a, a call center in sales for this organization called The College Network, mm-hmm. Um Has some inherent problems if you Google them. Um, (laughs) They were, they're kind of a for profit education group with the initial intent of Indiana State University, all these other universities have online RN programs Mm -hmm. where you can do your clinicals remotely. What if we partner with those universities to help you get through your gen eds Mm -hmm. ahead of time? We'll do the curriculum for that so people can test or CLEP out of them. Great idea. Ahead of its curve because, you know, this is before online learning had really become adopted at a widespread level. Um, I think the problem is with any sort of for-profit entity – um, be it ITT, Chancellor, like list goes on, mm-hmm. it may start in a place where it genuinely is trying to solve a problem by giving more of an equitable option for education. Yeah. But you are tying sales numbers yeah. and statistics to recruitment efforts, mm-hmm. and you don't have to comply to certain standards of testing and yeah. things like that. And so you start funneling in people that – have no business being there, yeah. Um, or make concessions in a way that so
0: yeah. And you're measuring the success of the business quarter to quarter when the six, the outcomes for the students right. are really going to be five ten years down the line, and those two things don't align align right. really well. Yeah,
1: and and I you know I I get from an outsider perspective that um, the. the the education system, the university system that we have is imperfect. yeah, but aren't you glad that there is some sort yeah. of standardization with yeah. some of these sure. things to prevent them from taking advantage sure. of you? Sure. um so I was there for four years. The writing on the wall kind of happened. Um, there was a moment where our largest market was California for mm-hmm. Indiana state universities. Mm-hmm. Nursing program. Okay. Um I would yeah. say 40 to 50 percent of our students came from there. Mm. And there was this cha- very minor change in legislation that happened at California on how clinicals could be ran that basically made the program moot from yeah. a remote level. Yeah. And suddenly we lost half of our, yeah. our income. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there was a wave of layoffs. There yeah. was another wave of layoffs. Um, at this point, for about two, two, three years, I was actually a sales manager of of forty people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was deeply unhappy with this job. I was starting to realize how uh, how we were potentially taking advantage of people. Yeah. And, but I was also kind of in a position where it was like I just I don't know what I'm qualified for. Yeah. Um, and then. It happened to that I finally, like, showed up one day and I was laid off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Sometimes
0: well, the universe taps you on the shoulder. Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, <laughs> and I have somewhat seriously, somewhat jokingly said getting laid off from that job was the best thing mm-hmm. that yeah, has happened sure. to me. For sure. It certainly uh, turned my career around yeah. because I think that up until that point, I was only applying to jobs that I felt like I was – ticking every box for, like, I'm qualified for all of these things, Mm -hmm. which was not a lot because I... Well, it
0: sounds like it's not things you've enjoyed all that much. Right. So it's like, hey, let's only go after the jobs that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And it just, it it happened that because I now was in a position that I had to apply to a ton of jobs because that's how uh, unemployment insurance works, um, I was just... I was getting out of my own way mm-hmm. in terms of like, well, is this something that I think I can do? If it's something that I think I could do, I'm going to go ahead and apply for it and yeah. ha- figure out how to have that conversation in the interview.
0: Well, and while that's never an easy time to go through, one of the things that gives you is time. Because right. I think when you're working day to day, you're so caught up in just that persistent, I need to get ready for work, I need to go to work, I need to decompress from work, I need to get ready to work, I need right. to go to work, that you don't have time to think bigger picture about, am I in the right spot at all? Yeah. And should I pivot? So um, I don't know if that was true in your case, but that opportunity to say, okay, let me let me get off the treadmill and think about what else I might do.
1: Well, it was it was interesting because <laughs> I got laid off the day before I actually moved from one apartment to another. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like this weird sort of I didn't even have time to think about, like, (laughs) the the downsides of my situation. Yeah. Um, I immediately went into, once I moved in, uh, going into, like, well, now applying to a job is my full-time job because I don't have a job. Um, But because you're just, like, left in this weird empty space of, like, boxes and things like that, you get, like, incredibly existential about like what is, the, <laughs> yeah. what is the direction of my career and yeah. where can I go? Um, I was fortunate enough, like in kind of, it, it was a longer process, but I ended up uh, through a connection from DePauw, um, linking me up with a company called Blue Lock, which mm-hmm. was a tech company that served um, a variety of different variety of different organizations in terms of, like, cloud disaster recovery. And this was when cloud was kind of a dirty word. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a sales position. It was cold calling. But it also had a component of uh, doing email outreach mm-hmm. because I think that was when we started to have this turning point of, oh, cold calling isn't the only solution in yeah. in, in terms of getting in front of someone and prospecting. Yeah. We can also uh email them or, or yeah. have mass emails. And some and of it like I'm that. sure
0: is people are picking up the phone less right. and they're they're opening email more. Right. So maybe, you know, that might be part of it as well.
1: Well, and primarily our audience was IT people who don't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, they, don't, <laughs> like, want to to they don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to talk to anybody. And particularly, like, even if your product is something that they would want to buy, like, they they just don't have time for yeah, you. sure. They're dealing with some other problem. Yeah. Um,
0: On their computer where email happens to reside as well. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Um, the, the pivot at that job where it was like, okay, I'm starting to, to see some pieces come together for me is initially my emails were just like really just selling like, well, why don't you talk to me? How about you have a conversation with me? Um, I started to insert like more reports or things like that, that I thought would be valuable that started getting some traction. But really the moment was we happened to have this, there was a conference that the big public speaker, like the big get of that conference was going to be William Shatner. Mm -hmm. And so I just decided, what the hell, I'm going to write an email that's going to be a lot of Star Trek puns. Okay. um, Just to see, like...
0: So those nerd activities are now coming into your career later (laughs) in life. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I guess. Um, (laughs) But I just, I was like, I, I feel like when I'm sending these emails, they're just seeing, like... White noise. Just seeing like this the sales pitch Mm -hmm. or like corporate speak. What if I like insert more human into it? Yeah, and I started like just making more jokes or finding what not like to a point where it's disqualifying the content that I'm trying to submit to them, but uh at least showing some sign of like, well, there's a person behind yeah. this email and maybe you want to talk to them.
0: Well, it's a delivery device for the sales content. Right? right. It's a way to package it that makes it, you know, a little bit easier to to swallow, so to speak. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and I think that's where, like, I think that that was kind of, uh, it unlocked something about, like, content writing, blog writing, marketing writing that I didn't understand. And I would say... even like a lot of marketers don't understand is that you're not trying to, in the B2B space in particular, we have this tendency of like, let's write content as if we're talking to a company. Well, you're not talking to a company. The mistake is that you are still B2C. Yeah. Like you are still talking to a human being that has pain and has things that make them laugh that things that resonate with them, things like, uh, you know, did you pick up your kids at like five o'clock? You have to rush out the door to do that, that sort of thing. And if you can connect to those human experiences, you make better copy. And so that was kind of the moment where like, well, maybe I can start doing this professionally. Maybe. I happened to start, like, looking to see if there was some other, like, something else aligned to that kind of role. And um, there happened to be a dental software company on the Mm -hmm. south side of Indianapolis called Renaissance Mm -hmm. that was looking for, at the time, an email marketer, but essentially a content marketer uh, to start that program. Um, They had basically cleaned house. And was looking for an entirely new marketing team. It was kind of an opportunity that I think, had they been in a more mature position, I would have never gotten the opportunity. <laughs> like, they would have looked for someone more tenured. But sure. I think they were like, we're going to take a chance. Yeah. Um, so, that kind of became the moment where it was like, I'm going to start doing more of this content thing. Yep. I'm going to start writing. Um yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so you're at Renaissance for how long? Uh,
1: four years. Okay. And
0: that's that's really that's where you pivot from sales to more comprehensive marketing yeah. side. Yeah. Okay. So you're there for four years. Is is Ivy Tech the next stop after that? It was. Okay. It was. So how do you end up at Ivy Tech?
1: Um, so there was a couple things that that kind of showed a, a shift in tide for me at Renaissance. Um, one, I had kind of felt like this is this as far as far as my career can go here. Yeah. Um, I don't think that if I want to grow, mm-hmm. I can do it here. Mm-hmm. Um two, we had, had uh we had been acquired. Mm-hmm. Um I am someone that starts to see the writing on I can kind of feel the yeah. writing on the wall of like I don't know if they're going to evaluate that this department makes mm-hmm. sense for them mm-hmm. since they already have their own marketing team. Yeah. And it it eventually happened yeah. where where the rest of the team was let go. Yeah. Um but also there were just some obstacles that I knew the things that I was interested in in terms of marketing which was really blog writing, SEO, mm-hmm. things like that. There wasn't as much for whatever reason um buy-in from the executive level to mm-hmm. do those types of things because yeah. they just didn't think that that resonated with our market and I'm like if that's the case then maybe this is not yeah, sure the job for me. Sure. Um, and just happened to see the opportunity at Ivy Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a fairly long interview process because <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure because that's how we we connected. Yeah. Um my role was primarily serving our C3 mm-hmm. uh uh I'm trying to remember the, the term.
0: Uh, so the smaller campuses. The smaller campuses. The smaller campuses throughout the state.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, who don't necessarily have their own marketing team. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, like I'm all of a sudden becoming like a marketing consultant. Yeah. Consultant or marketing agency. Uh, the elephant in the room is that I started about two weeks before the world Kind of collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I started. So
0: you start by driving to all these campuses to meet people in person and make those connections? Do you do any of that?
1: I did. It was on the schedule for. Yeah. I I had started early March and it was on the schedule and for This was early
0: March of 2020. So, early, so yeah. that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not much time to even um, get in the car. This yeah.
1: was still like it was going on in Seattle yep. and that was about it and there's yep. like stories about Boston and like yep. it's kind of localized but it's not here. Yeah. And um, there were plans to have me go on a big mm. campus tour mm-hmm. and interv- like have discussions with all yep. of the the chancellors and talk about their needs and things like that. Um but then it was I think the Thursday of my second week that the first reported case of covid mm-hmm. was in in indianapolis yeah. and then we were shut down yeah um and the weirdest part was the two weeks after that because i mean at that from an onboarding perspective you're like i don't even know what to do with you because you're not quite in a position that you can help these people. Yeah. So it was just kind of in limbo for two weeks. Of the two weeks that we all thought if we flattened the curve... We're going to go back to work in two weeks. We would be going back to work. um, And eventually, like, I I started, like, actually being involved in things. Yeah. Um, I think what was... I guess a benefit of the timing of me coming in and most of my experience being on the digital side mm-hmm. was that I I think in a way I was brought in to help digital acceleration or yep. digital transformation with these campuses. Um, it's not that it's not successful, but a lot of these campuses do or have primarily used... Traditional media mm-hmm. to promote yep. their campuses. They yep. they like print. They yep. like billboards. They like radio. They like TV. If yep. I can see it, then there's value Correct. in it.
0: And it's 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 infinitely less complex. It's easier to understand. The you can digital.
1: you yep. can wrap your head around it. Whereas yeah. a digital ad, it's like, well, I've not seen it, yeah. so it's not working. But, like, but you're not the audience. Yeah. Um. So that was that probably would have been a more difficult conversation for me mm-hmm. had it not been well that's the only choice. Yeah. We and, and only the, have digital
0: And the the ten years of digital acceleration that happened in the course of about three months for right. everybody out right. of necessity. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a client that was retail that was adamant about we are brick and mortar. That's our point of difference. They they're very smart and understand the digital world, but by choice, they were like our point, our point of difference is service. We categorically will not sell online March of 2020 right. they called. They're like, uh we need a e-commerce platform. So um yeah, I think it was out of necessity, even entities that have been resistant to digital obviously had to get there. And you coming in with that skill set, um, sounds like the timing was good.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I I think that there was still a certain amount of pushback in those conversations of like, um, uh, the the most common type of digital ad that they, they really embraced were kind of variations of, of what they already knew. Mm-hmm. Like, let's geofence, mm-hmm. which is essentially a digital billboard yep. for uh, a school campus or something like that. Let's uh, buy up all the keywords related to Ivy Tech. Well, they already know mm-hmm. who Ivy Tech is. Yeah. If they're already searching for Ivy Tech, is this really valuable? Yeah. Um, it was probably a a year and a half long journey to kind of get a couple of the campuses to really embrace this idea of well, what if we start, we know our nursing program is the most important thing. Let's start doing ads related that target nurses, people that are actually Googling yeah. f- for nursing programs in my area. Um, let's get in front of those people because they're the ones that don't have the answer of like I'm looking for Ivy Tech. Yeah, they're just looking for.
0: They don't even realize Ivy Tech has a nursing program and a yeah, quality the program. Yeah.
1: Um. So, I don't know if the the lasting impact because I was there for about a year and maybe eight or nine months that those campuses continue to kind of do those things. Mm-hmm. I know that I was leaving around the time that we were all going back to campus. Yeah. Um. So who knows maybe they're <laughs> they're like <laughs> yeah. well we can go back to what what we were doing before yeah. Yeah. um but i think that there was a, at least a little bit more appreciation for okay we get digital a little bit more now yeah
0: yeah, okay. So you're there for a year and three quarters-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, then you move to TechPoint. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to go to TechPoint? Let's pivot to, for those who may not know, what is TechPoint and what's your role with TechPoint?
1: Sure. Um, so the, the official tagline for TechPoint is that we are uh, the growth accelerator for Indiana's digital economy. The That sounds very heady, um, but the shorthand for that is we – Essentially, a support and attract tech companies to Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, tech at this point doesn't necessarily mean much because most companies, in some way, have some yep. digital component. Yep. So that's kind of where we started to adopt the the digital side of things. Sure. Um,
0: and it's a it's a part of the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership, correct? Correct. And it was originally an organization that brought together one from the IT sector, and was there another organization that was part of TechPoint in its infancy?
1: Um, You're going to ask me questions (laughs) from (laughs) a a much longer time ago, and I feel like I can hear (laughs) Joshua, who is the guy that has been there the longest, like, screaming in my ear. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, we'll, we we don't need to know the the origin.
1: The shorthand is um, CICP... Uh, the parent nonprofit that I work for uh, has a handful of initiatives that are meant to support different subsectors of Indiana's economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connexus supports our manufacturing mm-hmm. and hard tech mm-hmm. sector. Uh, Agronovus, pretty obvious what they serve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, BioCrossroads serves our, our biosciences mm-hmm. uh, sector. And TechPoint serves tech. Yeah. Um, how we do that is, I think, interesting. Um, I mean, the obvious thing would be how do we connect companies to grants and incentive programs and things like that. Yeah. Um, but the things that we are probably most well-known for are two programs that have actually hit their anniversary dates, uh, pretty major anniversary dates in the next year. Uh, one is Mira and one is Xtern. The Mira Awards is going to enter its 25th year next year, um, which is basically this big gala where the term often used is the Oscars of tech. Mm -hmm. It's where we award startup of the year, uh, scale-up of the year, um, tech investor of the year, tech educator of the year, um, et cetera, et cetera. All these different awards. Um, What happens, and, and certainly rewarding Those types of groups is great and they get publicity for it. But the more meaningful connection is having those people all in a room, they start to make organic connections Mm -hmm. that, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar deals happen in the room when they are starting to learn about these companies for the first time at these award ceremonies. They also end up getting major clients um, from the publicity that they get from it. There's a Southern Indiana company called RX Lightning um, that primarily serves the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, They had just started two or three years ago. They do specialty medications. They had a very small amount of clients and then they won startup of the year and then they started uh, getting major hospital contracts because of the awareness that yep. Mira generates. Um, the other side of it is uh, Xtern, uh, which is hit its 10th year this mm-hmm. year. Uh, we, It's basically a company agnostic internship program, summer internship yep. program. About a decade ago, there was a recognized issue with brain drain mm-hmm. in the state of Indiana. We have IU, we have Purdue, we have DePauw, we have Notre Dame, we have all these great universities but if they're in tech if they've gotten an engineering degree they're not staying here yeah. they're going on to the bay California area and yeah and austin and yeah and so there was this question of like how do we we have these great companies and we have great jobs and the cost of living is significantly better here than any yeah. of those places how do we connect those people to the right companies mm-hmm. to get to sell them on the idea yeah. of staying in indiana So the extern program was launched to connect those students to potential internships at those companies. We generally, we recruit from all over the the nation. Um, I think it's something like 48 states we recruit from. Um, We end up placing about 200, 250 students over the course of the summer at area tech companies. Um, A lot of them end up staying at the tech companies that they had an internship yeah. with, but plenty just end up staying within Indy Tech or Indiana Tech. Yeah. Um, they like it so much or the connections that you make mm-hmm. from extern, like someone that was you know, in your cohort might say like, oh, well, we have an engineering role yeah. here. Why don't you come yep. switch over to this job? Um, so it's been a really effective way of, of keeping talent in the state of Indiana. There's a lot of other things that we do, but those are definitely <laughs> yeah. the two big yeah. things.
0: <laughs> so, Jason, what's your role in all that? You're obviously on the marketing side, mm-hmm. but what are some of the things that maybe you're working on now that might shed some light on the work you do on an ongoing basis?
1: Um, so, I, I'm i our digital marketing manager. Uh, I came on two years ago with the kind of the thought, it, it, it was it was associated with this initiative called the Company Hunting Initiative, which mm-hmm. was like, uh, we're we're focused on drawing more companies that aren't, that Indiana is not on their radar. Yeah. Um, we had an SEO problem mm-hmm. because of that. We, one of the, the many things we do is we have this publication, a, a web publication of the Index, which is a little bit like our version of TechCrunch, yep. or like the Indianapolis Business Journal, where we're just publishing on the stories about tech within Indiana. Yep. Well, if all your publishing, all of your blog content is associated with the word Indiana, what are you gonna rank well for? Mm-hmm. You're gonna rank well for Indiana, Indiana Tech, Indie Tech. Yeah.
0: You end up with a lot of naval yeah. gazing. People in Indiana know you really well. People outside who aren't searching those keywords aren't gonna find you. Right. Yeah.
1: And so we I think at the time that I started, eighty percent of our organic traffic was coming from Indiana. Mm-hmm most of the keywords we owned were indiana yeah. or indiana related mm-hmm. um and also organic was not our primary source mm-hmm. of traffic mm-hmm. which are all problems yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so i what i what i did at renaissance is what i'm technically doing now here okay. is um about i want to say 6 or 7 years ago there was kind of this shift due to a couple of updates to Google's algor- mm-hmm. algorithm that mm-hmm. made internal linking much more powerful, yep. um, and that's kind of where the whole idea of pillar-based marketing came from. Mm-hmm. Of how you win it, SEO is not like publishing a lot of blog content that's just on different topics over and over again. How you win is asking the question of what would Wikipedia do, mm-hmm. because. That is the most successful website in terms of S- SEO. Yeah. When
0: you talk about like- Generally, you search a term, and if it is something that's in the public consciousness, Wikipedia is going to be one of the first two hits. Right.
1: Yeah. They're either going to be the featured snippet, Correct. that little box mm-hmm. that comes up for Google, or they're going to be number one or number Correct. two. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, how do you equip your website to to be more like that, to create that experience? And what's great, because we're we have kind of a role of- being a tech educator, that pivot to providing those types of content makes a lot of sense for us. So we shifted to more of a, we're going to have this long form piece that's just like, what is venture capital? What Mm -hmm. is hard tech? What is ag tech? What is digital transformation? And then we're taking all these individual articles that are underneath that and linking back up to them. So they all kind of like, a rising tide raises mm-hmm. all ships mm-hmm. in terms of SEO. Yeah. So, it's completely transformed our our metrics in terms of search traffic. We now our our number one source of traffic is organic. Yep. Uh, instead of being eighty percent Indiana, it's more like twenty or thirty mm-hmm. percent. Um, and we've actually doubled organic traffic in the course oh, wow. of a single year. Oh, that's great! So, yeah, um, and we were like. The number one search result for highest paying tech jobs of 2023. Yeah, biggest tech hubs in the world were were ranked number one. Yeah. Um, Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, that's so, great.
0: So as part of that content piece, you also are part of a podcast. So right. you're you're in an unusual seat today right. being the, the guest. You you would normally be in the seat that Nick is in. Right. Everyone can't see Nick, but Nick <laughs> is the brains of this operation who actually does the production of the podcast. So tell me a little bit about that. What is the podcast all about? What's your role in it? And what's some of the success you've had?
1: Yeah. So um, it is very weird for me because I'm not even the person <laughs> that usually interviews. Yeah. I just – Do you ever do the interviews? I've done one, um, which has not been released yet. Uh, I interviewed Lindsay Chepkama, who is the CEO and founder of Casted, which is a podcasting platform. It felt like that was the the (laughs) one conversation that I felt really comfortable having. Sure, sure. But ordinarily, I defer to we have uh, an engagement team. We have our CEO. We have... Mm -hmm. A lot of different roles that have a, a deep bench of experience in yep. terms of you've worked with a lot of venture capital. Sure. You've worked with a lot of different startups. They can have maybe a more sure. organic conversation sure. than I can. Sure, um, where I'm like, I'm. This is all great. I'm <laughs> excited to learn about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm maybe not the best audience sure. analog for that. Um, so we started the podcast about. A year and a half ago, uh, with the intent of, because of those interviews that or those those articles that I kind of mentioned that we used to do, we did a lot of feature stories of companies based on like, hey, you had a major raise, let's talk Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Hey, you you had this huge exit. What what's that deal? Um, That sort of thing. And what happened was we were particularly doing during COVID doing it via Zoom, yep. doing it via Teams or mm-hmm. something like that, and recording it, yeah. and then taking down the notes. And I'm like, that's, to me, redundant. Like, let's just release the video. Yeah, for sure. And then the transcript becomes our SEO content. Yes. Like, that's yeah. that's our supporting mm-hmm. piece to whatever pillar we're talking about.
0: Yeah. And a lot more efficient
1: that way, And a lot too. more efficient. <laughs> yeah. We're not yeah. like, hey, let's listen to the interview. Let's take nuggets out of here and turn it into this this feature story and trying to craft a narrative around it. Let them do the work for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that that started along those lines. Um, we initially, it, when we started to have those conversations about let's do this podcast, um, there were a lot, and it it was coming out of COVID, so there were a lot of uh, Zoom based interviews that yep. we really wanted to distinguish ourselves from, mm-hmm. so we started doing it in person mm-hmm. at headquarters, yep. <laughs> um, yep. which we're trying to move away from a little bit because it's a huge ask for me, but yeah. um, we were mostly interviewing, you know, CEOs and founders to have the conversation of, like, uh, you know, where did you get the idea for this company? Mm-hmm. What has your entrepreneurial journey been like, yeah. Um, so it's
0: almost like how I built this, but for Indiana Tech, right? Yeah, right. And so when you, so when you say at headquarters, you're going to their company and you're setting up your equipment, right. At wow, okay, yeah. So Nick, it could be a lot, be a lot worse, <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. And and I mean, the thing to consider also is that it, while we do some really impressive things, at the end of the day, we're a nonprofit, so our equipment is pretty scrappy. Like mm. we bought. I can't like it seems impressive when you see it in person, but we bought a camera from the used section of BH Photo. <laughs> yeah. We bought you know our lighting kit from like the you know generic brand on Amazon. Like yeah. Yeah. you know we made concessions where we needed to to feel like we could get at least a suitable amount of equipment. The only thing that we really felt like we splurged splurged on was probably like. The audio recorder <laughs> and knowing like yeah. we need a great portable recorder so we can do this well.
0: Yeah. And you, you are, you are video first in terms of format. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right.
1: Um, I think mostly just because I, I always kind of go from this and I'm trying to remember the, the marketer that kind of, it's like a Jay Bayer thing mm-hmm. of like you. Think of content in terms of Thanksgiving dinner. Like you want to start with like this huge meal that then you're going to carve up into lunches for the rest of the the week. Yeah. And the thing that I can start with that I can carve into multiple things is video. Yeah. If I start with video, then I have video. I have social snippets. I have a podcast. I have the transcript that can be a blog post. Yeah. If I don't start with video, if I start with audio, then I've taken one thing off the table. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great analogy.
0: Thanks, Jay Bear. That's a
1: great analogy. All right. <laughs> and I probably misattributed that. That's well, probably it, not him. But... Jay's a
0: great guy. So yeah, let's just yeah. call it the Jay, Jay Bear. He probably came up with something similar. Probably. Probably. All right. So let's pivot to a couple quick hit questions, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Tell me, with, with the pivots you've made in your career, some of the things that you decided to to shift away from and toward, what's your best lesson in all that? What's your best advice for having a fulfilling, successful career?
1: Um. You know, I, I've I've listened to a few of the ones that you've done, and, and the answer that I would probably give is um, volunteering um, and not like in the broad sense of like align yourself with charities mm-hmm. or things like that, which you totally should do. But yeah. I mean more like – I think that we often say like you should network, and that's not really great advice or executable advice. It's like, hey, just – go out in some space and meet people. That's not super helpful. Um, I have found that the best way to connect with people in jobs that I want is find aligned jobs or find aligned missions like Indie Design Week or Indie Marketers that have volunteer opportunities for you to connect with, but do work. Show people that you can do the work, and that kind of gives you an opportunity to actually, like, prove your merit to some of these people rather than just like, hey, I connected with you at this mixer or things like that. I think also adopting that mentality towards when you're actually at work, at your own job, I would never have transferred from an email marketing specialist to a content strategist if I hadn't seen the opportunity that they needed a blog writer, Mm -hmm. they needed someone to write their about us section, they needed someone to, because they didn't hire for it. Yeah and all i said and and it's important to approach those those moments with humility of like i don't know if i'm going to be good at this but can i try it yeah i think that that's a great way to one not be boastful about like don't say that you can do it don't say that this is going to be awesome if yeah. you give it to me because you don't know but just be willing to volunteer with kind of the authenticity of like i I don't know if it's going to be possible, but I would really like to try content writing. Yeah. Can I give it a go? To
0: to be the person who helps the organization take that step. Um I, I love a couple things about that. Number one is the through line with what you talked about with your sales job when it's mm-hmm. like, hey, I want to help people. And if I can do that and sell a product, great. If I can't, I probably don't want to. Yeah. Um, and it leads to very interestingly, a great quote from Jay Baer, who says, <laughs> you know, the difference between helping and selling is I think the quote is the difference between helping and selling is two letters. But those two letters make all the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when when you talk about networking, what I don't like is when people talk about the forced networking and the fake networking. Yeah, It's really best when it happens organically. And the best way to position yourself as a resource in someone's mind is to help them solve a the problem. Right. You know, you and I talked before we hit record about LinkedIn, I say to people, use LinkedIn to be useful to people, right. like their content, answer their questions when it's in the space you wanna be known for. And they're probably gonna reciprocate if you reach out for help down the line, right. if not, it's less likely that they will. So I think that's really good advice in a lot of different facets.
1: Yeah. I And I personally, I, which is ironic since we're doing it, I don't like talking about myself. And it's not like a, I avoid it or I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't like social situations or yeah. things like that. I just don't. I find other people more interesting or I find certain issues or things like that more interesting to talk about than myself and i'm sure that there are a ton of other creative types that are just like that yeah. the way that you get around that in terms of networking is finding a way to help other people yeah
0: yeah well and and some of it comes down to you know it it's, it's not that if you speak up on a topic that you're saying, I am the world's foremost expert on this topic. You're just saying, I have a perspective on it that I'm eager to share right. because it might help some people. And if it doesn't, okay, great. But I'm going to share what I know. Mm-hmm. And if that's self-promotion, so be it, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I, th- I think it's also important for someone that's in their career, like you mentioned LinkedIn um, and helping people. And that's maybe the best way to network. I think the the main thing is to not expect it the that relationship to be transactional. Like don't expect anything in return. Just do do good, help people and just hope that like career karma works in your favor. Yeah. Don't like don't knock on their door like
0: (laughs) Yeah, like like remember how I helped you two weeks ago. Yeah, don't no, it's it's definitely not linear. Yeah. It's just the the more good stuff you put out in the universe, the more good's likely to come back. It just it doesn't always translate as you expect. And patience is huge. You know, there's there's things that it's easier for me to say this because I'm I'm older than you are, but there's things that have come back in a good way, but it's been ten years. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, if I was impatient, I may have short circuited that, but you know, hanging around getting old is a great strategy. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm, I mean, it's hard advice when particularly you're like really hungry for a yeah. job because you're like, I just, I'm trying to pivot my career yeah. or I'm just trying to get a job or a yeah. foot in the door. So you really, you really hope that it's transactional. You're like, I helped you. Can you like yeah. get me in the door? Um, but if you don't think of it that way, it'll yeah. eventually. Pay dividends later on of just being a good person.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a great quote about all of this that I really like, and it's from Robert Johnson, who's an entrepreneur and investor, and he says, make your friends before you need them. Mm. Basically build up credit with your network writ large and trust that eventually that's gonna come back. Right. But you have to go first. Right. If you don't, you know, then it's going to take more time to to build up that that credit, if you will. Yeah. All right. Second quick hit question. We turn that into a non quick hit question, but that's perfectly right. Okay. That's encouraged on the Astro Marketing Podcast. All right, <laughs> second quick hit question has to do with the world in which you work. Mm-hmm. What's a myth or misconception, or maybe something that's underappreciated about technology companies in Indiana? About your work as a digital marketer, whatever it is you want to address, something that you think. Deserves to be kind of reframed.
1: Um, I think the most important thing for me is, uh, and it ties in with a, a pretty big initiative that TechPoint is heading up right now. That uh, you don't actually need a degree to get a, a, a really successful career yep. in tech. Um, you don't necessarily even need a degree to be a developer or yep. an IT. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps. Like it's. It is removing a barrier for you, like it makes that conversation easier because you have some evidence of your career. Um, But there are paths to remove barriers uh, for people that don't necessarily have access to uh, education at an early age. Um, There are skills first uh, hiring programs that do adult apprenticeships and things like that. Um, there are coding academies like 1150 that exist that can potentially get you up to speed to a point where you can get a tech career. Um, that would be the thing that, like, for people that have thought that this is exclusive, this is something that I can't do, that's that's something that I would want people to know is that you probably can do the job. It's just how do you find the skills to get to that point, and it doesn't necessarily mean a degree. It it can be, but yeah. it, it's not necessarily that way. Well, especially in this
0: environment where employers are really hungry for talent, especially in the tech space, especially in Indiana, you know, there's a lot of opportunity if you're willing to if you're willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't always require the path that maybe a generation ago people would take to get in that path.
1: And there's – so we have a very tangible metric about it too in terms of like what opportunity there is. There is a – between now and 2030, there is a 41,000 headcount gap between what is considered normal college production Mm -hmm. of tech-skilled workers and the roles that we estimate Indiana will need. Mm -hmm. And so if you have any like – minor interest in working in tech, there are potentially 41,000 jobs that would hire you in the next however many years. It's just finding a way to get a path to that job. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: more options today than than ever before if you want to do that.
1: Yeah. All right. Great.
0: Okay. Last quick hit question has to do with any tool or hack or tip or trick you use in your work, something Mm -hmm. that's important to you, that you think other people should at least know about or appreciate? Now, I've had people say, Google's really great. I've had people talk <laughs> about pen and paper. So it doesn't have to be an app, it doesn't have to be tech-based, but what's something that you use that you think is important to you?
1: Um, my most surprising source of content and has been super successful is, talk to your customer support team. Mm. Um, it mm. You might have this expectation that it's gonna come from the sales team, it might come from a product team, But we – when I was at Renaissance, we were trying to think of, like, how can we create a really compelling lead hook that's going to generate a lot of interest in our product. We talked to a lot of different groups, never did anything successful. And then finally we had a conversation with the customer service team to say, like, well, what would be helpful in your job? Not just, like, how can you better serve customers? Like, we don't even care about it being a lead hook. And they're like, hey – Here's an idea. Every year we have this $200 book that everyone has to buy that is the updated dental codes. Everyone has to buy it because it's the only way you can get it. But there's only like 15 to 30 codes that are actually updated Mm. that we need to know. Make that into a PDF. And so we did that and we released it in January. And within a month, we got, I think, 950 Uh, inbound leads because of it. Wow. And that's something that, like, I don't think anyone would have considered having that conversation. Um, No one would have considered. And and I think it has to do with how you ask that question. It's like, we asked how we could better serve customers, and they didn't necessarily have that answer. Then it was like, well, how can we help your job and make it easier for you? And they're like, we would love a PDF that has all the CDT codes. And you're like, okay, what is that? And as they yeah. explained it, it's like, oh, this is this is great. <laughs> like yeah. we we should start doing this. And we started putting digital ad money behind it. And it probably one of the most successful ad campaigns that we had at mm. my time there. So yeah. don't don't discount your customer service reps, the people that are interacting with your customer, yeah. because they know your customer more than anybody else.
0: Well, what's really interesting about the way you described that, you, you said, here's the question we used to ask, and then the question we ended up asking. Mm-hmm. The first sounds like a question like you would ask B2B. B. The right. second is more of a B2C. Like, this right. is a person right. with pain points, so let's ask that question. See how neatly we wrap that up right. into a bow? It all ties when I say together. say we, it was you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was great. Well, Jason, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.